I want to make a statement that I've made several times in the last few weeks because I really do believe it sums up the way God is expressing himself in this church, and it's this statement that Sound Life Church exists to help people flourish through knowing Jesus. And that's not, that's not an orig- original idea. It's kind of our little phrase to describe what I believe God has called every church to do in their local communities. But the way we say it here is that Sound Life Church exists to help people flourish. And that idea of flourishing is really meant to be this, this picturesque word of the abundant life that Jesus calls us to. That Jesus calls us to live life to the fullest, life as it was always meant to be, and it's life as you in your heart long for it to be. And here's the interesting thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't give us the abundant life by just giving us the best of the world. He sprinkles a lot of that in, actually, probably more than I deserve, and and does a lot of that stuff. But the flourishing of Jesus starts from the inside and works outward. And that's why it can only happen through Jesus, because only Jesus can start from the inside and work outward. Only through relationship with Jesus can we bring flourishing to one another and to the community that may never walk through the doors of this church. We have a responsibility to them to bring flourishing, but it comes through Jesus, through Jesus sending us, through people coming to know Jesus, through people seeing Jesus in us. And so that's why we exist. That's why we are here. And if you're here and you're like, I'm not really here for that. Well, then you're not here to do church, because church is about getting to know Jesus better, giving Jesus the glory, giving Jesus our lives, and him breathing life into us in return. And I'll tell you what, there's no better way to live life than that. No better way to live the life than that. And so we've, we've been talking these last few weeks about what it takes to flourish. And one of the, the core ideas that we've recognized is that if we are going to flourish personally, we have to be a part of a flourishing community. There is no flourish on your own. There is no do this by yourself. There is no, there is no um, survival mentality. Or I don't know if you've ever watched the show Alone. I really like the show Alone where they're in the wilderness by themselves and can they make it 100 days in the Arctic or that kind of thing. I'm like, that just looks like childhood in Wisconsin for me. So um, anyways, I love that show. Very interesting personalities, that kind of thing. That's not the way we're meant to do Christianity. There may be seasons where that's kind of forced upon us, but flourishing happens in community. And so we've been looking at the traits of the church, uh, particularly in Acts chapter 2, where we see the church birthed by the Holy Spirit out of the will of the Father through the disciples of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, we see this beautiful picture of a community devoted to the things of God. And out of that devotion to Jesus, they're experiencing the best that Jesus has to offer, and they're loving one another in amazing, generous, and hospitable ways, and they're reaching their community almost effortlessly because they're so in tune with Jesus, and people around them are seeing that and wanting to be a part of that. And that is our picture of what God intended the church to be, and we get to discover what does that look like in our generation What does that look like in our community? What does that look like in your personal sphere of influence as you walk? And I'll I'll, I'll just let you in on a little secret. As a pastoral team, it's not uncommon for us to pray on Monday mornings at the beginning of our staff meetings to pray for Sound Life Church for all of you in your places of work, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, in your communities. That may be your day off and you're sleeping in, so we're praying for you while you're sleeping in your bed. We're just praying that wherever God's church is, because his church isn't here on this property. His church is wherever you're at. So on Sunday mornings, his church is here. But all the rest of the time, his church is all sorts of other places, and we're praying for you to flourish in this way. But it's a community effort. It's a community effort. 
And so we're building this community around the three core values that I believe we see throughout Scripture. We see it in that Acts 2 community. And that's this, that we believe we are called to be people who are devoted to Jesus, who are growing in Jesus, and who are missional with Jesus. And I I say those things over and over again because I want them to just ingrain themselves in your brain. I want you, when you have a little bit of like a a midlife crisis or a midweek crisis or whatever kind of crisis you're having, you're like, what am I doing with my life? I want you to think back to, okay, I, I need to be devoted to Jesus. I need to be growing in Jesus. I need to be missional with Jesus. When things are going wrong, I need to be devoted to Jesus, growing in Jesus, missional with Jesus. When things are awesome and at the top of the world and you think you are the man or the woman or whatever, you're the superstar, I want you to think back, okay, how did I get here? How do I stay here? How do I maintain? I need to be devoted to Jesus. I need to be growing with Jesus. I need to be missional with Jesus. Because these are the core values that God calls people to. As long as we are in these bodies, in this life, this is how Jesus is doing his work. This is how Jesus is bringing flourishing. And so we talked these last few weeks about what it means to be devoted to Jesus. And what, just what a beautiful time it is. What a beautiful time it is when a church comes together and says, you know what, we need to kind of get back on track, be devoted to Jesus. And in a world that's calling for our loyalty, calling for our attention in all of these different ways, to say, you know what, my heart belongs to Jesus. And last week we talked about not just part of our heart, not just part of the treasure chest of our lives, of our souls, is going to be devoted to Jesus, but all of our heart is going to be devoted to Jesus. And I just want to say thank you to all of you in all of our venues and and in this room that laid down symbolically, laid down cards confessing idols in your lives, saying, you know what, part of my heart's been given to this kind of thing. And it was amazing to see. I just want to encourage you, you're not alone. You're not alone. If you wrestle with different controlling influences, different idols in your lives, different things that kind of draw your heart away from Jesus, you're not alone. You're actually in good company because there's a lot of people struggling with different things that would call for our attention. And it was interesting. If you struggle with addiction, you are one of a bunch of other people that laid down idols of addiction and are walking through that. And I just want to say Jesus is, is here to guide you through that process. If you struggle with, man, you know what the number one idol was? You won't be surprised. Technology, cell phones, TV, video games, entertainment, filling our lives and our brains, numbing our souls, anesthetizing our spirits with entertainment that does nothing for us except takes time away from the things that are most important in life. And not that entertainment doesn't have a place, but if you're struggling with giving that too much time, you're not alone. There's a lot of people struggling with that. There's, there were things like the wounds of the past. There were things like lust and sexuality. There are things like money. That's a big one. And then the ultimate idol, the number one winner of, of the idol award. Wait, there is one of those in culture, isn't there? The number one winner of, of idolatry in our church was the, the age-old idol of self. Don't we we all get drawn to that one, don't we? And I just, I want to mention, and there were dozens of others. I have them listed here if you'd like to read it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, obviously they were all anonymous, but the point was this, that we're honest with Jesus about those things. We're devoting our hearts to him. And I want to remind you of that to keep your eye out for those things, drawing your heart back in, because our calling is to be devoted to Jesus, not to anything else. And in this world, that devotion will be tested over and over and over again, right? 
But devotion's a great starting place. It's not the ending place. Devotion sets the table for flourishing. It says my life is set apart where Jesus can come in and do everything that he wants to do. He can accomplish what he wants to do. But that brings us to the next core value, which is growing in Jesus. And I just want to ask you this morning, I want you to think a little bit about this. Think a little hard this morning. When is the last time that you've grown significantly? I'm not talking about your, your pant size or um, the last time you had a growth spurt height-wise or any of those things. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, I've been growing a lot in the last year. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm with you, okay? But I'm talking about personal growth. When's the last time that something significant about you has changed? When's the last time that something deep in your heart, something that, that has played out in the way that you live your life, in the way that you interact with people, when is the last time you changed significantly? And if I asked the question differently, I said, when's the last time you wished someone around you would change? That was probably like within the last 24 hours, unless you've been in complete isolation, which is possible. You probably wanted somebody else to change, but when is the last time you have felt burdened to change, to grow, to be different? We are masters at being satisfied with where we are at and unsatisfied with where the rest of the world is at, aren't we? But Jesus calls us to grow, and not to grow on our own, not to grow with the, the latest, greatest self-help, but to grow in him and with him. If you look at that picture of the early church, and we'll take a closer look next week at that Acts 2 church, then you will see that flourishing didn't just happen on its own. It wasn't a bunch of people just passively sitting there and nothing happened. No, the Holy Spirit came when people were seeking him in the word and prayer together. The Holy Spirit moved in their hearts to repent of sins, and they did that together. Then the Holy Spirit led them, and the leadership of the church led them to devote themselves to the things of God, and they weren't just like, hey, this is all fun and happy and easy. No, they devoted themselves to the Word of God and to prayer and to community, and though we're called to community, it's not easy, is it? You're scared to nod your heads right now because you might be sitting next to someone that's not always easy to live with, right? Some little elbows getting thrown. It's okay because people are people. We're broken. We can be hard to live with sometimes. It's better to laugh about that and then repent than to pretend it's not real, right? So they devoted themselves to difficult things. And then what did they see? They saw God moving, doing miracles, doing signs and wonders, but they didn't stop there and just like, wow, God, that's awesome. Keep doing that. No, they responded by day after day committing to hospitality, by doing crazy acts of generosity, by sharing the good news of Jesus with the community around them, and continuing to do the work of bringing new believers into the family. Have you ever brought a new person into your family? Have you ever adopted someone or brought a foster child into your family? That's not easy work to integrate a developed human being into the culture of your family. Sometimes winning people to Jesus is that way, right? I remember as a new believer being like, what the heck is going on here? And probably the people in the church are like, what is wrong with that guy? Because it was two different cultures meeting together, and that requires a lot of work. So the early church was growing, but it wasn't effortless. It took work. It took change. It took humility. It took some sacrifice on their part. And can I tell you, that's not just church. Life has always been that way. Life has always been that way. Do you, any of you remember your dad or some adult in your life saying, you'll understand when you're older? 
Anybody like that statement when you hear it? Nobody likes hearing that. Oh, it's insulting. But then later you might say, I catch myself saying that to my kids sometimes, and, you know, I'll get the eye roll occasionally or whatever, but uh, only very rarely because they're extremely spiritual children. But... (laughs) But the reality is that there are things that you grow into that expand your view of the world, right? That God intended for it to work that way, and it's always been that way. God has always built things with potential and then worked alongside us to help them reach their potential. He's always done that. And if you look at the early chapters of Genesis that give us a picture, not, they're not particularly historical or scientific. They're meant to be a narrative of the relationship of God and humanity. And when you look at Genesis chapter 2, kind of the close-up of God creating Adam and Eve, the first human beings, you see in Genesis 2, and I'm going to skip through some verses here um, so that we can continue on. But in verses 4 through 5, you see this sum up. It says, this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the heavens, the earth and the heavens, excuse me, that's kind of a big deal, by the way. Like it says it in a couple phrases, but I want you to catch, when God made the universe. That's a lot of work, it seems to me. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. And there's a lot of there's a lot in that passage that I, I'm restraining Caleb Bryant nerd brain from going into. But what I want you to see there is that God waited on parts of his creation until people could do it, until people could partner with him. He didn't plant gardens and plant seeds and plant plants until people could work alongside in cultivating those things. He didn't put a garden there until he was ready to put a man in it to work hard attending that garden. In Genesis 1, where you get the 30,000-foot view of creation, in verses 27 and 28, he commissions humanity, he commissions man and woman to go and produce people and communities and cultures that will govern the earth, that will cultivate the entire world and maximize its potential. That's why we all have purpose and callings, and we're not all called to the same thing because God designed for us to maximize the potential of the world around us. We are meant to work alongside God to grow beautiful things. We are not only meant to flourish, we are meant to bring flourishing in the world and in communities around us. And God was right there in the middle of it with Adam and Eve, He's right there in the middle of it. He wants to be right there in the middle of it with you and I, cultivating good things in the world through our lives. And why is that? The only thing I can come to as I read through Scripture and I see how God works with human beings is that God loves things that grow. God loves things that are unfinished products. God loves things that grow, and he wants things to continue in that process of growth. He wants things that will start one place and end somewhere else. God must love process. God must love the journey. God must love relationship. By the way, nobody gets in a relationship assuming that, well, they shouldn't get in a relationship assuming it will never change or never go anywhere else. 
right? We get in a relationship to be on a journey together. We, we engage in friendships and romantic relationships to begin a journey with someone that we value. And that's the way God creates. He creates the basic elements. He creates potential. He creates raw material. And then he says, hey, let's work on this together. Let's do something with this together. He's the ultimate like parent-child teacher. He's like, hey, son, here's some tools and some things to mess with. What do you think we should do with it? And he's totally okay when we do the wrong thing sometimes. He's, he's not insecure about it. He's not upset about it. He's like, okay, okay, let's, we can work on this. I can teach you. I can show you. I can coach you. But God loves the growth process, I think, just as much as he loves the end product. Maybe even more so. He loves that. And you and I and everything in this world are unfinished. We're good. Remember what did God say about creation? That's, that's good. In fact, that's very good. But he didn't say it was perfect. He didn't say it was complete. He didn't say it was whole. He didn't say it was a finished project. No, he began saying, okay, this is good to start with, but here's where we're going. And the same is true for you. When's the last time that you thought about the fact that you are an unfinished product? That you thought about your halfway there, part of the way there. Maybe you're like, I'm 5% there. And that's okay. When's the last time you realize that you're more raw material than you are a finished product? God sees you and he sees both who you are and loves it. And he sees who you can be and he's committed to it. Because God loves things that grow. And so God created you with potential. He created you with potential, but reaching that potential requires the hard work of growing in Jesus. And that's a lot of times where you're like, Caleb, you lost me. Like, I'm all about you talking about my potential, all about you talking about where Jesus is wanting to take me. I think Jesus should see some potential in me. But the minute I say it's going to take some work, some of us are like, no, thank you. Got enough work without that. I've got a life's hard enough without growing in Jesus too. And yet Jesus calls us to grow in him. And the reality is you have to grow to flourish. You can't flourish without growing. You cannot flourish without working at it. I'm facing this unfortunate reality um, in, in this season of my life. I'm, I'm facing this unfortunate reality that I can't eat what I want and do whatever I want and still maintain the physical condition that I want. I hate that. And let's all of us who are older than our mid-20s just take a moment to be frustrated with people in their mid-20s. <laughs> and then let's take a moment to just corporately disdain those that are teenagers and can eat like all of the, all of the Big Macs and hamburgers they want and still have a six-pack. I don't, that's just frustrating. <laughs> and I'd like to say, nobody told me it would happen this way, except people always told me it would happen this way. And, and here we are today. Because... You have to work. You have to grow to flourish. And technically, you'll grow a different direction if you don't, right? We have to grow to flourish. It's not just God's loving desire for you, but it's a major part of what this life is all about, is tapping the potential that God, nobody else, we can't take credit for. God put incredible potential inside of us. But he wants to walk hand in hand to unlock it. 
And, you know, we see that both in an individual way, and we're going to talk about that next week, but we also see it in a corporate way. There's a way that we as a church help each other in this, in this journey. And I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, just a beautiful picture of how God meant the church to work. So if you look at Acts 2, you see how God wants the church to look. If you look at Ephesians 4, you see a picture of how it's meant to sustain that how it's meant to operate that way. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, although it's a beautiful chapter. I'm going to start in verses 11 through and read through 16 here. But let's look at 11, and let's look at this first couple of verses here. In verse 11 and 12, it says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip, sounds like work, God's people to do his work, that sounds like work. And to build up, that sounds like work, the church, the body of Christ. And so do you see here, God gives a gift. And how many of you are like, yes, a gift. Do you know one time for my birthday, my wife, my wife gave me a gift. <clears throat> and I was excited about, you know, I, I still get excited about presents and so I unwrapped this gift, and inside of it was an entry into, are you familiar with the Tough Mudder races? She had given me for my birthday an entry into an 11-mile race <laughs> with obstacles. And there's all sorts of, like, penalties involved if you don't do the obstacles, not to mention public shaming because they post all the pictures everywhere. And I was like, what is this? She's like, it's, it's an entry to Tough Mudder. I'm like, to go watch one? She's like, no, to be in one. I'm like, to run, to run in the, to, to do the things in the Tough Mudder. She's like, yeah. And in that moment, I had to make a choice. How do I respond? Do I follow my natural instincts or do I love my wife? I loved my wife and I don't know if it was a gift to me or to her, but the next four months I lived in fear of a race and it changed the way I ate, it changed my exercise habits and I'll tell you what, I did that 11 mile race and I don't know that I ever want to do one again, but... <laughs> or that I physically am capable of doing one again. But I'll tell you what, it was one of those gifts that sometimes you're like, I'm not sure this is a gift. Sometimes things that God gives us are that way at first. God gave us a gift of leadership in the church, and you know what? Leadership in the church, the problem with it, it's a very imperfect gift. But I want you to notice what the gift is for. The gift is to exercise responsibility, not just authority. The gift is to equip which equipping is hard work. The gift is not only to equip you, which might sound fun, but it's to equip you so that you can work and you can build and you can do hard things to accomplish God's mission. And so if all we see is what we want to do with our lives, we look at that gift and we're like, God, no thank you. That really interrupts my plans for myself. I'm doing just 
fine. But if we recognize the gift for what it is, if I recognize that gift in that moment that my wife was giving, I love adventures. I love things like that. She was giving me an adventure. It was a frightening adventure. It was a life-threatening adventure. But she gave me an adventure. If I recognize that it challenged me and my mind and my body, it, was, there, there, it ended up being a wonderful gift. I just didn't see it at first. And the gift of the church is a wonderful gift, but it's hard to see in a broken world. It's hard to see in a culture that is dedicated to me and me alone. It's hard to understand why having to be responsible to other people would in any way be a gift. But do you notice here that God sets up a community and says the leadership is responsible to the people. And the people are responsible to God for the church. So I will stand before God someday and answer to him. And he will say, how did you equip my people to do my work and build up my church? And just like getting that Tough mutter certificate, that idea puts fear and trembling inside of me. I hope that I will have a sufficient answer on that day when I stand in his glory and I'm like, wow, God, you are a way bigger deal than I ever imagined. And he's like, yeah, so... What'd you do with what I gave you? And here's the interesting thing. You also will stand before God. And he has work in store for you. And part of that work, not all of it, but part of that work is to build up not Caleb's church, not Sound Life Church, not your church, not anybody else's church, to build up Jesus' church. And he will say to you, I gave you a lot. I gave you so much. I gave you all these different things. I gave you a calling and a purpose. But what did you do to build up my church? He's going to ask you that. And it reminds us of something about growing in Jesus. As a community, growing in Jesus requires responsibility to others. And I, I want to point this out because responsibility to others is something that as a society, as an American culture, we avoid responsibility to others at all costs. No, we say we're responsible. We say, oh, this group's neglected. Let's start a cause and, and let's all repost on Facebook and look, we're responsible to other people. No, you're not. You're jumping on a bandwagon because being responsible to people requires work. Being responsible, responsible to people truly requires you to build up the thing that will introduce them to the source of their flourishing. Responsibility to others is a key to your growth. It's counterintuitive like so much of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It calls us to things that we think will be bad for us but are actually really good for us responsibility to one another, overcoming, and I'll be the first one. I'm naturally introverted. I like, to, I like to be by myself. You're like, you sure talk a lot for a guy that likes to be by himself. <laughs> I do the same thing when I'm by myself. I talk a lot. But I love to be by myself, and Jesus is constantly calling me to step over the fences of defending Caleb's little space and say, what do you need? How can I love you? Who are you? Let me know who you are. And you know, he's calling you to the same thing because we're responsible to the people around us. Sometimes you're responsible to leadership. Sometimes you're responsible to followers. Do you know that everything in life works that way? You're responsible to a parent and eventually you might be responsible to a child. You're responsible to a boss and you're responsible to a customer. You're responsible both directions in life. And those parties have their responsibilities. Parents and children both have their responsibilities. Bosses and customers have their responsibilities. 
We have our responsibility in the church. Leadership and followership have their responsibilities, but responsibility is the key idea. It is a key idea. And without taking responsibility, you cannot grow the way you were meant to grow. Let's read on in verse 13, where in verse 13 it says, This will continue. So God's plan for the church will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of who? God's Son. That we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Do you know that maturity is an important concept? Not something we value a lot in our culture lately, it seems. But maturity is a beautiful thing. You know, at, at times, my wife and I have been tempted to have, the, have say this about our children. I just want them to stay little. I know there's some moms in the room, you're like, you're still picturing your 25-year-old children as little babies, and you're like, I just wish I could rock them one more time. But that's why there's dads in the room that say, no, no, they were cute for five minutes a day, and the rest of the day they were pooping and screaming and throwing up and all those things. Look at who they are now, they're productive human beings, hopefully, Right? There's this, there's this thing that, that babies are cute for five minutes a day. No, they're cute all the time. I will remind you, though, the last baby I dedicated puked on me right here. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Harrison. It was his son, Beckham. Babies are cute. But seeing what they become is amazing. It's amazing. I'm watching that with my children. I'm like, how did... How did Screaming, pooping, up all night. How did that become talented, intelligent, beautiful, unique personalities unlike anyone else? And when they use those skills and use their mind and use their body to accomplish things, I'm like, wow, I could never do that. Maturity is a beautiful thing. And that's God's desire for us. Scripture talks over and over again about being spiritual babies. And God's like, I love you, spiritual baby. But what does it say? Don't stay a baby. If there's one message that Paul says over and over again that sums up discipleship in the New Testament, it's don't be a baby. Grow up. Grow. Grow to who Jesus has called you to be. Grow emotionally. Grow in your, your maturity. Grow to be who Jesus has called you to be. And do you know what the standard is? Jesus. That's why this last year when it, you know, we're facing different political challenges and we're facing different medical and COVID and science challenges, all those kinds of things, I had to continually bring myself back to not what is Caleb. If Caleb is the standard, you'd be hearing different messages on Sunday. My messages would be like, this is how Caleb thinks. Think like me. And in such a disconcerting, confusing year, you might be like, I don't know what to think. Well, Caleb has a thought. Let's all think like Caleb. And that would be dangerous. You don't know, but there's some crazy up in there. <laughs> but when Jesus is the standard, when Jesus is the standard, I step back and I'm like, Jesus, I need to sit and chew on Like, how would you handle this? Jesus, what do you want us to do? And do you know Jesus is the most frustrating person to ask, you know, urgent questions to? Because Jesus is never urgent. He's like, son, let's sit a while. Like, Jesus, you don't understand. I got emails I got to answer. I got a sermon I got to write. There's a bunch of people going to show up. I don't even know what to say. So, Jesus, if we could uh, pick up the quality time, that'd be awesome. 
Jesus doesn't work on our, he doesn't, he doesn't live up to our standard because he is the standard. And as we live up to him, that is what maturity looks like. Maturity is when we discipline who we are to be more like who Jesus is. And Jesus loves to help us grow in that. He loves to, by his spirit, help us grow in things like love when we don't feel loving, joy when we feel depressed, patience when we feel very impatient, peace when the world is chaos around us. Does this sound familiar? The Holy Spirit cultivates in us the nature of Jesus. And how many of you could use a little more nature of Jesus? I know I could. So growing in Jesus what this scripture tells us is that growing in Jesus promises the reward of true maturity, not maturity into Pastor Caleb, not maturity into the best version of yourself, maturity into who Jesus has called you to be. And growing with Jesus guarantees it might not be easy. Well, it won't be easy. It might not always be pretty. You might not be perfect at it, but it guarantees that Jesus is going to guide you on this path towards true maturity. And remember, maturity is beautiful. We talked about the baby to the 25-year-old, but what about, think about someone that's truly spiritually mature that you've met. I hope you've met somebody. I hope you've, I call them the Gandalfs of the church. People that just somehow, they are like Jesus. They aren't phased by the things of the world. Often it's older people in our community. It's people that have, have been there and done that. They've seen the ups and downs, and they're not as easily phased. Think about someone like that. You know, we're all meant to have people like that in our lives. And I know, I know some people like that, and, and I'm just amazed, and often they're at a stage of life where physically they may, may be frail. Physically, they may not, their voice may not be as valued in society as it once was. But spiritually, I'm like, wow, wow, how do you look at life that way? And it, you know what it does? It helps me be more loving, more peaceful, more joyful, more patient. Like, that sounds familiar. Because it's true maturity. And true maturity is a beautiful thing. It's not easy to get there, but it's a beautiful result. And that's what he talks about in these next couple of verses. In verse 14, he says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Wow, that happened then too. That's weird. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. You know, I used to read this and I'd be like, man, how are people so flip-flopped around? How are people so wishy-washy? What do you mean they're adults? They don't know what to think about things? What do you mean they're, they're easily tossed by every new wind of teaching? How, how would people be so easily influenced and tricked with lies when, when truth is so... I mean, we live in the information age. Then 2020 happened. I was like, wow, that's what he was talking about. That's what he was talking about. When we act as a society, immature like children... Essentially, this is how we know we're children. You don't agree with me. I hate you. I'm not playing with you anymore. I'll shame you from a distance. I'll gossip about you when nobody's looking except the whole world on Facebook, but I don't like you because we don't think the same. Immature like children. Blown about by every wind of new teaching. Do I even need to go there? 
Can we, can we say American politics, American media, the lack of accountability in those systems in our nation is producing this kind of thing? And I'm not down on politicians. But when there's no accountability, the enemy uses God-given things to hurt people. I'm not down on news and media, but when there's no accountability, the enemy uses God-given things to damage people. And if we don't have a foundation of truth, we get blown and tossed by every new wind and teaching. Did you see that post? Did you hear that announcement? Did you see that tweet? Did you see what he said, what she said, what they said? What? Some of our lives, that's why I sometimes set the phone down and stop living your life like, Stop living your life as immature people controlled. And he says, what should it look like instead of that? Instead, we will speak truth. Someone's like, yes, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Somebody asked me recently, well, how do we know what the truth is when there's so much out there that's, that's calling each other lies? And I, I really do think this is from the Lord as I prayed about that. I, I felt like the Lord has said, Caleb, focus on what's right in front of you. Focus on the sphere. Of, stop trying to control and figure out the entire world. No human beings have been successful at that so far. It's God's job. But you can figure out your sphere of influence. You know what integrity looks like in your sphere of influence. You know what loving relationships looks like in your sphere of influence. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have an answer to everyone that says, well, what about this? Or what do you think about that? Or why do this? Or what are you going to do about that? You can say, I don't know. What I do know is who Jesus is, and I'm going to live like him. What I do know is that I can walk out the truth in love in my sphere of influence. And I'm not saying, please don't hear me in this. I'm not saying don't vote or don't pay attention to what's going on in the world or don't get involved in politics if that's your calling. I'm not saying those things. I'm just saying take responsibility for what you can take responsibility for and don't be blown about by every outside wind of teaching. Know who you are in Jesus and live that out wherever God takes you. And then all the other things flow out of it, the voting and the, you know, all that stuff flows out of that. But growing in Jesus, if you're growing in him, it establishes a foundation you can count on. His word, his voice, his presence, that's the place where we get our foundation. So, by the way, if you're getting your foundation from a podcast channel or from a YouTube channel or whatever else, if you're getting your foundation from a certain news channel or any of those things, those are not foundations that can speak truth into your immediate area. They're not foundations that can hold you accountable. They're not foundations that are going to support you when you're there. They're good things in the right amount of moderation. But that's not going to be your foundation of truth. Jesus, his word, will not change and speak to every context. That is our foundation that we can count on. And then to finish it off, he says in verse 16, he, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Did you notice how many times growing is in that passage? 
that we are meant to, in relationship with one another, grow. And each one of us has our own special work. That's what it says. We each have our own unique special work, our own giftings, our own callings, our own spheres of influence. We are meant to live in those things, but we do it in unison with each other. We do it as each part does its own special work. What does it do? It helps the others grow. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing. Do you know, the problem with going it alone is that sooner or later, we don't have what it takes. Have you had that moment yet in life? Because it will happen, and then it keeps happening. When you're like, I'm not enough for this situation. And that's when we need I I need, if I'm not going to fail in those moments that are too big for me, I need someone else to help me grow through them. That's why, as parents, we watch our kids grow, but there are moments where without a little help, they will fail and not be able to hit past, get past that, that moment, right? There are other moments where they need to see it on their own, and God gives us this ebb and flow. He's like, no, 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 you can handle this one on your own. Be like me, follow the standard, mature like Jesus, But this one's on you. And then there's other moments where he miraculously swoops in and saves the day because he knows we need help to grow through that moment. Right? There's this ebb and flow because God's a good parent. He's not just a, a genie in a bottle. Right? He knows how to help us grow. But here's the cool thing. Growing in Jesus brings out God's best in us and everyone around us. When you're committed to growing in Jesus, it brings out the best in you. There's no other way, actually, to tap that potential. The growth experience is the only way. You don't get it by being passive. You only get it by being active. This is how it works in a community. Next week, we're going to talk about how how you latch onto that personally. But I want to ask you something first. What would it take for you to grow significantly in this season of your life? Where's Jesus calling you to grow this morning? Are you satisfied? Like, honestly, are you satisfied with right where you're at? And if so, does that mean you have no more potential to fulfill? I'm asking these questions because I I want, and I believe the Holy Spirit wants to stir us. Do you know why? Because there are few things in life as regrettable as unfulfilled potential. Right? When we look back on seasons of our life, we might look back on a season and say, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have committed more. I wish I would have worked harder. I wish I would have trusted myself. I wish I would have trusted other people. I wish I would have given a little more. I wish I would have sacrificed a little bit more. Right? And the longer you live, the more of those little regrettable moments you stack up because we're not perfect. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is a God who redeems all of the regrettable moments. And if you are committed to growing in him, he can still restore the growth that you missed out on in a different season. He is committed for eternity to helping you grow into who you are capable of being. And all you need is to commit to the process with him. A difficult process. Not an easy process. Not going to sugarcoat that one for you. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. He's like, hey, you know what we're in for today? Dying to yourself. Pick up that cross. Let's do this. Serious. But you know what Jesus promises? Flourishing. Abundant life. All of the longings of your soul fulfilled through relationship with him, not the shortcuts we wish that would work. So are you committed to that process? Are you active or passive 
in the process of growing in Jesus? What are you doing to embrace the call to grow in Jesus? How are you engaged? How are you listening to the voice of Jesus? How are you in tune with his Holy Spirit? How is the word of God challenging you in this season of your life? Because I'll tell you what, I could pick and choose. I'm really good at this Bible thing. I could pick and choose exactly what I need to confirm Caleb staying exactly the way Caleb wants to be the rest of my life. And I could actually do that for you too. I could every week preach things that make you feel really good about who you are, where you are. But the word of God calls us to something better. It calls us to a better world than the one we know. It calls us to a better reality than the one we understand. It calls us to a better version of ourselves than the one that we are. And my question for you this morning before we get into the practical stuff next week is are you engaged in the journey of growing in Jesus? You might be sitting here this morning and you don't even know Jesus, but your heart's burning in you. You're like, yes, I do need that. I do need this flourishing. I do need that potential to be tapped inside of you. Can I say, Jesus is just one ask away from beginning that journey with you. But here's the other side of it. You may have been in that journey with Jesus for 50, 60 years. And I hope that that same burning is still inside of you because Jesus is not done with you yet. He's not done He's not done, and if it has been a while since you've been in a significant growth season, you need to ask God for another one. But my bet is that in this last year and a half, you've had plenty of opportunities to grow. And maybe you just need God to strengthen you to continue to walk through the journey that he has you on right now. Any of those steps are, are great, but are you taking those steps with Jesus? Did you know the other thing that was common in that passage besides the term growing was Jesus? Jesus is at the center of our growth. He's the core. He's the one that is key to our growing in the right direction. He's the one that we need. Would you bow your heads with me, both here in the room and in our venues and online? I want you to have an honest moment with Jesus this morning. I want you just, Jesus is here. He's listening I believe he's been speaking to you more than just the words that I'm saying. I think that he's speaking to your heart. Where is your heart burning this morning? If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you've walked in here and you're, you're like, I don't know Jesus, Caleb, I'm, I'm that guy like you were that, that is kind of weirded out, to be honest, by a lot of the stuff you guys are talking about and doing, but I want what you're talking about. I want that connection with God. I want my potential fulfilled. Would you just ask him this morning? Just in your own quiet place, just say, Jesus, I need that. Jesus does not need it to be perfect. He died on the cross so that we don't have to be perfect. But he rose from the dead to show you that he has more for you than imperfection. So ask him. If you're here this morning and, and you're hearing me talk about this and you're like, you know what, I have been pretty passive for a while. I haven't been engaged spiritually. I've, I've been surviving in life, but I haven't been growing spiritually. Maybe it's been a year or maybe it's been a couple decades, but Jesus, I need you to spark in me a spiritual growth spurt. I need to grow again. I need to be more than who I am. I need more love and joy and peace and patience. I need to be more like the standard that you set for me, Jesus. Do something in me. Catalyze growth inside of me, ask him. Ask him. Steal that prayer. Say, Jesus, I need that. I want that. But it has to be you, not just me praying for you. You have to engage in the relationship because the growing happens in relationship with Jesus. And maybe this morning you are in that category of saying, man, I'm just, I've been growing so fast, I'm exhausted. 
The growing seems to be going faster than I can grow with it. And I just need a fresh infusion of Jesus' strength to stick with the process, to not give up, to not quit. Ask him. Ask him. Father, I ask across this room, I ask for those that are watching online in our venues, I ask, Lord, that if where we have asked, would you please answer? I ask, Lord, that you would build faith in us to grow to be the people that you have called us to be. Father, I pray that we would, we would not settle for complaining about the hindrances in our life or our world or our personality or our, our minds. I pray that we would look at the potential of who you are, and I pray that you would call us closer, deeper, stronger in you. Grow us, Jesus. We need you. Make us to be this church that brings flourishing to one another and flourishing to the world around us. Lord, bring flourishing in our souls. And Lord, I pray that those that need you, would you open the door to relationship with you this morning? That those that need a growth spurt, would you spark growth in them this morning? And that those that need fresh strength, would you infuse them with the strength of your Holy Spirit? Make their burden easy. Make their yoke light as you help them carry it. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Here's the hard part about this growing value. You know, devoting, devoting yourself to Jesus, being devoted to Jesus, that's something that happens in the quiet place. That's something you can deal with at an altar. It's something that you can deal with in your quiet time. It's something that, that needs to be lived out every moment of the day, but you can renew it in those quiet moments. Growing in Jesus, training happens in real time. You ask for it now. These prayers that you've prayed are significant, but it's out there. It's out there where God wants to train you, and he starts with this foundation. Dig in, find out the standard of Jesus, who he is, what he's called you to do. You can rely on this foundation. Be responsible to the people around you. This is not a solo game. And here's the beautiful vision, is that you will flourish and so will the people around you. It is worth it. And there's a world out there that needs to see people flourishing without getting what they want all the time. We live in a culture that needs to see people flourishing even when we don't get it our way. We need to see, the world needs to see people flourishing when things are unfair. The world needs to see people flourishing even under the threat of disease or in the face of great suffering and difficulty. Only Jesus can bring that kind of flourishing because it's a miracle that he births in us. But he wants to do it in your life. He wants to do it in your sphere of influence. So as you go out today, go out and live lives that are devoted to Jesus. Be committed to the process of growing in Jesus and recognize that every moment of it is an opportunity to be missional with Jesus. So Father, send out your church today to be your solution to the brokenness of our world. Your counterintuitive, sometimes frustratingly slow or, or not the way we would do it solution to the true brokenness in our world. You have the answers, Jesus. Help us to grow into that standard that you set for us, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. God has a ton for you, so go live it out, and we will see you next week.